Today's episode of The Aggressive Life has adult themes and adult content. This is the second half of a two-part conversation with sex therapist Emma Schmidt answering your questions and mine about sex. If you haven't heard part one, go back and listen to it first. It's important to understand the ground rules that we're dealing with here. We're going to get aggressive today. Here we go. Got a bunch of questions here, Emma, about wounds. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one, I grew up in a strong purity culture. I still feel shame after sex, even though we're married. Help. Mm Mm-hmm. So that is where, come to therapy. (laughs) No, this is really, really painful for a lot of people. So I'm in the Cincinnati area. So we're in the Bible Belt. We see this all the time. So one of the things that you can start to do is address what messages are actually coming up around sex. If I bring up sex. You think Cincinnati's in the Bible Belt? I think so. Or I guess I'm from Kentucky. Oh, you're in Kentucky. (laughs) Actually, no, Kurt Platt was on crack. He was a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. uh, (laughs) Wait, is Kentucky in the Bible? Kentucky is. Kentucky is. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't Bible Belt Christians in Cincinnati, but yeah. the level of sexual oppression culture wide in marriages up here is nothing compared to what would it be like in Alabama. True. Yes, 100% that. Right. So, what I, would I say- promise you, if I was pastoring in Alabama, I'd be fired as soon as I said <laughs> hand job. I'd be gone. Like, the border would come in and knock on the door, you're out of here, Brian Tome, gone. Well, you know what? I got my Christian sex therapy certification from Atlanta, Georgia. So I don't know. Maybe it's changing. Okay. Okay. I cut you off. So what I would do is I would start to um, sit with that, which is harder than me saying it. So being able to close your eyes and when you bring up sex or when you bring up post-sex, what are those messages that come up for you? So that's what we would say are your shame messages. So shame is an identity piece. So I am defective. I'm bad. I'm horrible, where guilt is a behavior. So when I have sex, I'm a bad person or I did a bad thing. It's more of a behavior. So these shame messages are really an identity. So we want to understand like what are those messages that are coming up and where did they first originate? So if you can then kind of bridge back, like notice yourself walking across a bridge and figuring out when is the first time I started experiencing that message and then start to notice like when was that message validated for me? When did I start to really experience that message again and again and again? And then we want to start replacing that with something that is, what do you not believe that you want to start believing? So maybe it is, um, I am a sexual being and that's okay, or it's okay for me to have sex, or it's okay to feel pleasure from sex, whatever that might be. How can I start replacing that? And, you know, if you're a Christian, sometimes it's maybe even I'll have people sit down and maybe listen to, like, what does God want to say to them? Sometimes that's actually traumatic within itself. So um, being able to replace that stigma, not stigma, that um, script uh, with something that's actually true. So that negative message, that shame is actually a lie that you're telling yourself that has been told to you potentially. So we want to start to heal from that and replace it with something that is true. This is really important. Uh, you know, I that was one part of our challenges is I was so horny all the time as a teenager, all that stuff. That like the whole game was, man, I got I gotta tamp this down. Jesus says, Jesus says, don't look at another woman lustfully. Mm-hmm. It's like having adultery with her. Don't do that. And, and you know, just everything was like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And then you actually get in the bedroom and you've been fixating on stopping it. Mm-hmm. 
And then all of a sudden you got to start it mm-hmm. and you realize other than joking around about sex, you've never really thought about it that much. Mm-hmm. You've never really had a healthy overall perspective about sex. You've never seen the joy in it or the beauty in it. You, you never allowed yourself to see the joy or beauty in it or else you'd feel like you'd fall into temptation again. And so I try to do a better job of that with my kids. Mm. You know, I was a big um, abstinence proponent for a bunch of reasons. <clears throat> I think marriage should be the place where sex operates best. And we, we set ourselves up for a long-term sex life that's fulfilling if we bring as few skeletons in the closet. That's just my personal opinion and the Bible's opinion, but I, even if you disagree with that, that's fine. But I, I just want to say for those of us who have that conviction, when we have our kids, we've got, we got to, we got to spend more time talking about how great it is. Mm -hmm. Tell my kids when we would wash them in the little bathtub and you know what that is? That's a penis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what you're going to do with that? You're going to put that inside of your wife when you, when when you get in they go, I said, Oh, don't, don't say you, cause it's awesome. You're going to love it. It's going to feel great. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. We want to just build that into into our kids because you know the purity culture run amok. It jacks. It can jack you up for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think just what you're saying, you know, when they say "ew" or um, we slap their hand when they're touching their vulva or uh, we reprimand them or whatever that is, what happens is that slowly becomes a traumatic wound and we start to carry that in our body, and so our body feels that. So whenever I, so I have, I mean, I. I have so many women who say, I can't touch my vulva because it's gross. I can't look at it. That's disgusting. And our, so what's happening is their body is just like, it has this grotesque feeling when they talk about sex or when their partner, or they feel um, disgusted looking at a penis or their partner's penis. And so they can't connect because it makes them want to throw up. And that's been- groomed. Literally makes them want to throw up. Literally makes them want to throw they've, up. Because they've conditioned themselves that penis is bad yeah. or vulva is bad. Exactly. And so, you know, we hear this all the time where you get married and then all of a sudden you're supposed to love everything and, and want your partner or whatever. But just like what you're saying, you know, if we're told to shut it all down, what happens so many times as Christians is that the pendulum swings to the other side and then you're like, I want sex, 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 sex. And your partner's like, hold on, like, mm. I've never been taught any, you know, like, uh, uh, because there's so much rigidity in the sexual part of Christianity, it it can swing. And so we see statistically that most people who have sexual addictions are actually Christians because it's like, I can't have any of this and now I'm going to want all of it. And then it becomes like a sexual anorexia piece. And then you go back to sexual addiction. So how do we teach and normalize sex and pleasure and bodies in a way that um, is still a value to whatever that might be for you so that your kids, so that you yourself can have that intimate connection and a healthy perspective of what God actually made, which is your body and your pleasure for, you know, good in the future and not of disgust and, um, and your body holding on to that, that uh, trauma, really. Right. And I mentioned earlier that our sex sets us up for the future or hurts our future. That may be true, but from a biblical standpoint, sex is a spiritual object lesson. Mm-hmm. It's an object lesson that as a man, the woman become one physically locked, one flesh. It represents that we are one before God, that I'm no longer an individual that gets to do whatever the heck I want. Mm-hmm. I am one with God. And that's the beauty and potency of God. And when I'm having sex outside of that, I'm breaking the whole spiritual metaphor down because I'm 
I'm, I'm having fun here. We're connecting. I'm having an orgasm. But there isn't the transcendent meaning that we're one before God because we're covenanted before one another. It's a profound thing. When you, when you get the theology of it and the practice of it going in the right direction, it's amazing. And just do too few people get the theology and the practice going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Have you read the book um, Sex, God, and the Conservative Church? It's by Linda. Yes, I have. Oh. Yes. Was that a strong reaction? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, there's not many people, not many women who who write books on sex from a Christian perspective. So I remember that one. Oh, no, no, okay. no. I liked that. I liked it a lot. Yeah, no, I think good. I highly, highly recommend because I think it really challenges our, what we've been taught by people versus what is biblically true. And it, you know, it brings in all this like Jewish skepticism and uh, Aristotle and all these people that really contributed to, you know, the idea of patriarchy and and what and sex uh, versus like God's intention and Jesus's intention for, you know, being sex positive. And so I think it's such a good book to help us, uh, you know, peel back that onion and figure out what is just taught of us and just has been a cookie cutter message and what is actually of God. Mm, that's good. Struggling to connect with my husband after learning of porn addiction. Mm-hmm. Help. Yeah, so this is challenging. Um, so this is one of those pieces of how do you value porn? What is your perspective of porn? And so if it is that it was a secret and it was hidden and porn is something of if they're consuming it, it feels like an affair, this would be a huge wound. It would feel like a huge violation. And so, of course, it would be hard for you to connect because that trust has been broken. And so just leaning into that and recognizing that. And how do we then heal together? Of course, you're not going to have that connection. But one of the things that we find is that the partner, I'm going to assume that you're female. Well, yeah, it's a husband. So that she would then go and try and match and investigate, how can I be the porn that he was watching? How can I be this person? Because obviously I'm not good enough. There's these shame responses that start happening. How do I lose the weight? How do I act that certain way? How do I wear the things? And typically it has nothing to do with that. It has more to do with, if there's a porn addiction, it's more about an intimacy disorder. So I have a hard time connecting with you intimately, or I put a wedge between us. And so if you are then trying to match and connect in the way you think that he wants you to connect based on porn, then that wedge of intimacy grows even bigger. And so what I would say is getting into therapy and really you know, peeling all of this out. What was happening actually before any of this was found out. What was your intimacy like? Um, and and the thing that I always like to say is we don't want to go back to any of that because it wasn't working. Like how do we heal from this and how do we move forward in a way that you all can connect and be really intimate? And what I find is when I'm working through sexual addiction, I can get clients to a place. And this is the hard part because typically many people will want to leave. And some people will be surprised by themselves that that they'll actually want to stay, but they're really hurt by that. Um, But we're able to get people to a place where they're experiencing intimacy in a way they've never experienced before because they've never talked about any of this stuff. So what I would say is stay with it if you can. Get into therapy and really work through that like core yuckiness and figuring out how do we connect and how can we be intimate. And usually it's because there are these, these wedges that we're not talking about that are in the way. That's good. I'll give. You, I'll take a swing at that too. Um, first, because I've dealt with this a lot or seen this a lot. Try not to take this personally. Mm-hmm. Try as hard as possible not to do that. There are people who have pornography issues and just can't turn it off. Who who are married to people who could be in magazines, no problem. Uh, 
don't try seriously try not to take this personal and your your husband's really not trying to hurt you either in all likelihood your husband is doesn't know how to healthily recreate. He probably doesn't have a hobby. He's probably lonely in general. Mm-hmm. Guys who lean out very, very heavily have got a lot of a lot of wrong in their life and they're trying to medicate that. So try to look at him with, if you can, he'd, he'd hate if you said this, but uh, a bit of pity. <laughs> and, and you probably even hate saying that or thinking that yourself. But the guys who I know who struggle with pornography are lonely, are stressed, are fearful about their future and they're trying to do something to get a quick hit. Try not to take this personally. Yeah, I would also add to that. I think that's really important because it usually has nothing to do with their partner. It has more to do with, uh, it's, it becomes a drug. They're trying to yes. uh, heal or cope with this drug. It, it, sometimes they don't even they don't even know why they're doing it. It's just something that is trying to meet a void that you know sometimes only God can meet or you know something else. They're just trying to fill this void and then they they get done with it and they realize that wasn't actually as pleasurable as I thought it was. And then we catch them and, yeah. and you know, we feel like there's um, there's something wrong with us. A lot of people just turn it internally. But I think you're 100% right that it usually has nothing to do with the partner. But also um, there needs to be a lot of, a lot of healing and don't, I want to be careful about how I say this. Um, you're both hurting is what I should say. You're both hurting um, and you both need your space to be able to heal and hurt That's individually. Right. That's yeah. right. And you, ha- as a woman, you have a right to be hurting. I'm not saying don't hurt. I'm just trying to help you hurt less by you taking it more personal than you probably need to. Mm-hmm. That's that's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. I'm not justifying that behavior at all. All right. We've got a lot of questions here. I'll just rattle them off. They're in the religion section. Are there sexual acts in marriage that are off limits to God? I have a lot of shame and guilt associated with my past sexual experiences. How do I get over them? Is it a sin to fake an orgasm? What do you see as the influence of porn on marriage? Is it a sin to masturbate? A lot of stuff going on here. I think I think the overall covering I would give to this whole thing is these are religion questions. So these are coming from religious people. And I think we just have to recognize that we serve a God who does have standards and we serve a God who has amazing grace and amazing, actually that, that, that'd be a good song, amazing <laughs> grace, who has amazing grace and offers forgiveness and doesn't judge us for our past. That's what the scriptures teaches very, very clearly. Romans 6, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're condemning yourself or you're feeling shame over your past sexuality, understand you're condemning yourself because God doesn't condemn you. And don't elevate yourself to be more important than God is. Sometimes it's a process getting over our demons, getting over our memories, getting over our, our, our low opinion of ourselves. But I just can't state more clearly when you're in the Christian faith, you're in a faith that's always about another chance. You're in the faith that always believes that there is grace for you and you are not, you do not have to be defined by your past mistakes unless you choose to define yourself by your past mistakes. Man, I'm so glad you said that because I think that humanizes and I think it gives people permission to say, okay, I can let this go and I can move forward, you know, instead of I need to keep proving myself good enough, right? I think you said it so well. Just give yourself permission to let it go and just keep moving on. Right. Mm -hmm. As uh, my friend Ken Blanchard, the old business guy, 
wrote One Minute Manager. You know, he came to know, came to know Christ and he said, man, I found out about grace. It was the best deal going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. It's, it, it is the best deal going. Uh, is it a sin to fake an orgasm? <sighs> Stop faking orgasms. Like, nobody's got time for that. <laughs> Listen, understand. So I'm going to say yes, just because I want you to stop, but I don't. So if you're lying about it, that's not intimacy. Why are you lying about it? Why are you holding back? And some people would say, well, my partner really wants this for me. And so I'm providing it to him because I just don't want the pressure of having to have an orgasm. So faking it is better. Or, Mm. you know, I'm trying to do this performance thing. Mm. Um, But ultimately, that's not intimacy. You're doing the same thing. You're creating this false intimacy, something that's not actually true. And so you're just continuing to create that wedge, right? And so you deserve to have an orgasm um, and and explore that. But don't try and fake it because um, ultimately you're showing up as a false self. and, And I think all of us want a partner who's going to be their most authentic self. So 100% agree. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not intimacy living with a lie. You're, Mm -hmm. you're lying. Thou shalt not lie. You're lying. I I hate to bring the commandments into the bedroom, but, uh, it's, it's much better to just tell tell your husband, Hey, I'm, I'm great having sex and I'm great with this sex ending without me having an orgasm. Mm Or it's great telling, and now I'd like to do X, so I have an a, 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 an orgasm. It's yeah. it's again, it's the it's the overall unity, the overall conversation that's critical here, not the act. And I, I bet your husband will be better with that than you think. And if he's not, well, that's a great area for you guys to have some intimate conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I like that you said, tell your partner that you want to have an orgasm or that you want to work on this. And also guys, what I'll hear a lot of is once I orgasm, then we're good to go and that the act is done. But sometimes your partner takes longer to get there. So women, we got to speak up, you know, you also have a voice. So try and use that, but also men check in on your partner and see, Hey, was everything good for you? Is there anything else that would make this uh, feel satisfying, satisfying for you? So check in with each other. And I like what you just said, Brian, that, Men don't understand this part, and I, I get it. Well, maybe I don't get it because I'm a woman, but women can have such a, a, a great sexual satisfying experience without having an orgasm, and they can feel incredibly connected. But for a lot of men, they can't comprehend that, and so they keep forcing this orgasm, thinking, how could you possibly think that this is satisfying without it? But it's true. Like You can feel very, very connected, and some women will cry after sex uh, because it is similar to an orgasm, it releases that built up tension. And so just because your partner's crying, just notice that it could just be that's brain doing that oxytocin piece to release because they didn't have that orgasm. Um, it's not necessarily because anything bad happened. It's just the body releasing itself still. So there, I mean, again, the body's really fascinating. And sometimes it's not just, hey, I want you to have an orgasm to feel pleasure. Sometimes it's I need you to have an orgasm so I feel better about myself. Right, right, well, right. Guess right. what, dude? It's not all about you. Sorry, sorry <laughs> yeah. to let you know. So some guys will say, "Why did other guys get you to orgasm, but I, but I can't?" Or it, it becomes very missional for them, and girls feel so much pressure by that. Women feel so much pressure by feeling like they have to do this thing, and that actually. First of all, how would he know that other guys got her to orgasm? Well, they would talk about it. Who with his guy friends or with her? With her. Well, that's that's not cool. All right. <laughs> yeah, Guess what? A- <laughs> Sorry, Joe. Joe really had the hammer. He had the hammer. He got it done for him. But about you, so I can't I mean, imagine yeah. how anything good comes to that conversation. 
Well, some people really want to know about their partner's sexual past, and that comes with, you know, do you really want to know the answers? Well, fine. Yeah. You can know, like, <laughs> how many times or who, but what, like, details sometimes are not your friend. Yeah, right? definitely. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, you want to talk about this before. It's one of the questions in uh, the section. Is it a sin to masturbate? So I'm going to be aggressive with this oh, answer. yes. All right, good. Okay. I don't so, know if we're going to disagree with it or not, but that's why it's called the aggressive life. Yes. Go ahead. So here's what I would say. I think masturbation is fine. And I think it's all about your perspective and how you use masturbation. So for instance, um, you know, if we can shift our mind from like, oh, masturbation is just to fantasy or to, you know, porn or right. whatever, you know, in Song of Solomon, there's so much fantasy and there's so much, I think, body exploration. And um, I mean, I think there's so much eroticness and stuff that's not actually in the Bible. That's a part of that that's time, right. that culture, that Lean, lends itself to desire and exploring sexuality that a lot of us don't even know about. Um, and so I would say, you know, if you're using masturbation as a coping mechanism or, you know, as a secret or hiding it, that's a problem because like, why are you doing that? That's shame there. But personally, I think if it's a way of exploring and connecting with God and connecting with your body, I don't think that that's, I personally don't think that that's a body. And I think it helps us um, get in tune and have a healthier s- sexuality and normalize that our bodies experience pleasure and that's okay. Well, the tension point for, for men, uh, well, for me, for men, I'll okay. for me, the tension point for that or where that breaks down for me is I'm not sure it's possible for me to masturbate without thinking of a woman and lusting after. And Jesus tells me when I've lusted after a woman, I may as well have committed adultery with her. Now, if I'm I'm masturbating and thinking about my wife, Mm -hmm. okay, that's a different deal. Now, having said that, having said, let me jump over to the other side, on on the other side too. I've I've had folks say, well, you know, uh, you know, what, what if, what if you can't, what if you can't masturbate without fantasizing about somebody you're not married? What if you can? Um, Okay, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I, I guess I'm more willing these days to give ground and not have a firm firm opinion, you know, on everything. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I just know that what where I'm gonna, where I'm personally gonna come down on, is if you're masturbating and objectifying a woman while you do that, uh, no good is gonna come of that, other than what you're doing right then. And we never have masturbation at the end of that session. We've looked at something on the internet or something. We never get done with that and go, yeah, oh man, I feel great now. I, I am I am, I am, am fired up for the rest of my day. I just got a spurt of creativity. No, they're just like this. Uh, yeah. You know, because it's not fulfilling. Well, it's kind of like, right, if you eat a, I mean, this is an extreme example, but if you eat a whole thing of Oreos, right, you get that sugar crash. I think there's something similar. It's still that drug. It's still that, you know, that dopamine hit, that like high that you're getting, and then you have this crash. But I I think what you're saying too is like when you're using somebody else's body for your pleasure and you don't have consent from them, um, there's something about that, right? You're you're literally objectifying them. And so I I think too, what I I really want to hone down in and all of this especially biblically and especially with this book that I recommended, um, Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, is we have to be more curious. We can't just go with what somebody's told us. Be curious. Understand what you value. Understand, you know, your perspective. Um, and then figure out, you know, like, do we want to incorporate this or not? But, like, let's have an understanding of why we do and don't do certain things, not just because somebody told us. Great. A lot of these questions on here coming down to the end are, uh, I think we've answered them in pre 
previous questions. So we got this one section called single. Sorry, single folks, to may, wait for you to till last, but you, I think you got a lot out of the religion and out of the wounds section and, and, and other stuff for sure, but I'll, I'll just hit one of them here. Uh, dating someone I want to marry. I love the idea of waiting until our wedding night, but it seems very difficult, maybe impossible. Ideas? Well, I think you and I both, from understanding your story, we, we both got married very young and very quickly. So I was 19, um, and we didn't date very long because um, we wanted to have sex, and that was something that we valued. And so for someone who, in this situation, um, if that is something that you value, be, be creative with your options. Um, you know, my husband's in Germany, and one of the things that they do there is you have a, a courthouse merit you just go and you sign the papers and then you have the celebration later is that something that you can do you know like if that's something that you value get creative with could we get married faster or like why are you waiting the amount of time that you're waiting right 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 Mm -hmm. right i had someone really upset that i uh i had my daughter i allowed my daughter to get married in one of our buildings during covid and they were really upset about it and hey i admit it there's some perks to starting a church and running <laughs> campaigns and, you know, giving your pound of flesh and having a building your kids can get married in. And so, yeah, I, fl- I flexed my muscle a little bit and said, no, we're going to have a very private, small wedding in, in this, but we other people couldn't. So, yes. But one of the things I I, fe- I felt like saying when I get this pushback is, let me, let me tell you one of the reasons I did that with my daughter. Because I know that her and her fiancé have worked their whole lives to go into their marriage to have sex with one another at marriage for the first time. I don't know. I really don't know specifically if both of them were virgins before that, but I do know that it was a value to them. I, I, I do know that. And to just to, to, to sell somebody, well, you know, just wait for the party. Wait for the party. You need more money for the reception. You're, you're talking about somebody who's, who's not trying to honor a spirituality they think is rooted in history. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man, if you feel like you don't have the money for marriage, who says you need a lot of money for marriage? Mm-hmm. Who says that? Stop. stop. You, you, you can get married now probably. You probably shouldn't get married if you've been dating for a month. But you can get married now and just solve that sex thing. And by the way, it's not a solve the sex thing. Not, not, not get married to solve the sex thing. It is a once, once you've gone a year, once you've dated somebody a year, we're, we're never going to stop learning about our partner. But once you've dated them a year through all their seasons, you know enough to make your decision. And now you're just enabling bad, bad behavior of not making a decision, which is not going to serve you the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing more to add. All right. It's, I always look over, I always look at Emma, I go, oh, I hope she agrees with this. Otherwise, I'm busted by somebody who knows more than me about sex. All right. Are you ready for the lightning round, Emma? Yes. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Most common issues you see in your practice? Sexual pain, mismatched libido, uh, erectile dysfunction, um, sexual trauma, sex affairs. The thing most men get wrong about women when it comes to sex. That they aren't interested in sex. So what we didn't talk about earlier is responsive desire versus... This is the lightning round. I know. This is not time for you to verbally process. I'm the guest here. Call the yes. Call the lightning (laughs) round. Okay. Well, I'm going to expand on this because it's important. Responsive versus spontaneous desire. So a lot of men want spontaneous desire. They can look at you and they're ready to go. Responsive desire is I need more in my environment to respond to. So I might not have desire or arousal right now, but... If you do certain things, like let's take a bubble bath or let's talk and have that emotional intimacy, then my desire starts to go up. And a lot of women need that 
arousal before desire. So they need to be touched in a certain way and their body responds, and then I start to have desire. So it might not be that your partner doesn't want sex, which a lot of men think. It might be that they need it different than the way that you need it. Great. The thing most women get wrong about men when it comes to sex. I think that all they want is sex and their body, but I think for a lot of men, they care so much about their partner and they want to connect, uh, but they just don't know how to, and so they're doing it out of the way that they think works best. But I think that they care and they really want to pursue their partner. They just don't know how to, and so it's not just about wanting sex. It's, I think it's much deeper than a lot of women realize. Tips for having the talk with kids. How young is too young? There's no too young. Start talking about biology, name it, correct names. Um, and there's no just one talk. Continue to have it. Your kids are listening. Have it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And if you're uncomfortable with it, uh, say the words in the mirror. Have a conversation with your partner so that it feels normal for you to be talking to them about it. The thing popular culture gets most wrong about sex. I think that monogamy is boring. Um that you need to have more partners and that you're after the, you know, what's the newest and best and, you know, most dopamine hitting thing. But, um, yeah, I think that's what they get most wrong is that monogamy is boring. The thing religion gets most wrong about sex. That sex is so rigid and that it's, uh, it has tons of rules and regulations around it. And I think it's way more free than uh, what we realize. Fastest growing clientele to your practice sexual pain, and erectile dysfunction. Erectile dysfunction in what kind of man? Uh, Younger men. So we usually see 20s, 30-year-olds. It's not the older men. It's usually due to anxiety, pressure, stress. All right. Now, that's the one thing that I'd want you to blow out more. What? Erectile dysfunction in younger men. Mm -hmm. Why? How? So some people would say that men have a lot of pressure these days in their career, um, so that stress that, like, I'm not good enough carries over into the the sexual realm. And when you have erectile dysfunction, especially if you're a people pleaser or you're used to being able to fix everything, erectile dysfunction is one of those things you can't fix and then it just highlights even more. Sometimes people will say, too, um, if I'm really fixated on porn and then I go to my partner, that that natural feeling isn't – I don't get that dopamine rush as much and so my erection's not coming because my body's not stimulated enough. I need that more – like that bigger performance. So sometimes if you're consuming too much porn, that can create erectile dysfunction. But really it's the pelvic floor is contracting too much and, and you're losing that blood flow to your penis. And um, what happens is in the brain, your stress, your anxiety, whatever that might be, is is literally turning that off and coming down your spinal cord and clenching your pelvic floor to make that erectile dysfunction happen. You know what's really weird, Emma, is I just put my preacher hat on for a moment here. And, you know, you know decades ago, it, it seems like I talked a lot about why you shouldn't have sex, don't have sex, speaking specifically to younger single folks. It's almost like I wish I had to give more of those sermons these days because we're not having sex with other people. We're having sex with ourselves. We're having sex with machines. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a massive growing segment of of machines and customized dolls. Mm -hmm. It used to be this old gross idea of some store behind the grocery store that you would go to with these be blow up things. No, there's like high tech that's coming and happening. And it's a genuine, serious alternative to people other than a person. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like I, I feel 
I'm going to have a someone come in at some point and say, hey, like, just rub on somebody who's a real human being. Just, mm-hmm. just, just, just be there. We need to get back to being human. We're losing our humanity. I'm as equally concerned about that as I am some of the abuses on the other end. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's about intimacy disorder. I think slowly, 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 we're getting more disconnected from people in general, especially with COVID, right? We're having to rely on ourselves because that feels safer. So it's safer for me to rely on myself than continuing to be rejected by someone on Tinder or um, Bumble or whatever. And so if I can just rely on myself and meet my own needs through, you know, something like a robot or something like myself or or meeting um you know, some, somebody through Second Life or Second City, I can't remember what it is, that, that feels safer to me than being vulnerable. And, you know, Brene Brown talks about that the way to intimacy is being vulnerable. But what's, uh, what's tricky is that if I'm vulnerable, I can, get, I can get rejected or it could lead to a deeper connection of intimacy. But a lot of us are so scared of that rejection that we would prefer to just do it ourselves, And so we're relying less on other people and relying more on ourselves. And I think that's probably what it is that... Intimacy disorder. Intimacy disorder. Wow. So I spend a lot of time with men. Mm -hmm. A lot. I do a thing called Man Camp. We've had 17,000 men come through Man Camp. We strip all the civility in our lives away. We just get kind of gritty and core on who we are. I've just interacted with a lot, a lot, a lot of dudes. And one of the... One of the... Questions I get frequently or statements I get frequently that's always heartbreaking to hear is, I just don't find my wife attractive anymore. Mm-hmm. What, what do I do? Mm-hmm. What would you say to that? So this is a really hard question because I think they're being really vulnerable and that's very honest. And sometimes in that honesty, it hurts. Um, I don't find my, my partner attractive. So one of the things that I like to say is what attracted you to her first? Um, and it can't be physical. And so they might say like, well, we, you know, we explored or we traveled a lot or we, you know, just hung out and talked all the time. And now we're just two ships passing in the night. So one of the things that I like to hone in on is, um, if it doesn't have to do with, you know, physical attraction, let's just get rid of that. What would help you feel like your partner is attractive? What do you miss about that in the initial days? And how can you express that to your partner? Like, how can you um, express that from a place of vulnerability? I miss playing with you. I miss having adventures with you. The kids are here and I love them and that's awesome. But I feel like I'm not a priority anymore and I really miss you. I just miss sitting and talking with you. Um, I miss having your attention. And so what is it about them? Like what's not attracting you? Uh, maybe they're really critical of you. That's a huge one. They're, um, one of the things that John and Julie Gottman say is that we need to have five positive things that we're saying to our partner for every one negative thing. But a lot of times we're just stuck in telling each other all the negative things and potentially no positives. So it could be that you're needing that affirmation. You're needing to know that, you know, uh, that you're her number one. And so um, trying to identify what is not attractive, what would make the situation attracted, attractive, like your partner, and how can I communicate that to them? Yeah, this is, this is it's a tough question mm-hmm. because guys have been conditioned to be, if they haven't been conditioned, we naturally are visually stimulated. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of businesses are started by men because a new business takes a vision. You've got to be able to see it in your mind. Mm-hmm. So 
female parts in our mind stimulates us. We see something, it stimulates us. And then when what we see doesn't match what we used to see, yeah. it can be difficult for us. And that's when we got to reprogram ourselves and cause come back down to the intimacy word. We've got to redefine intimacy. Intimacy is not... Um, I'm having an orgasm with you, though, though, though that is very intimate and that's very wonderful. Intimacy really starts when you actually know the other person, when you're vulnerable with the other person. And oftentimes you do that, then the sex follows. But I, I, I encourage guys, hey, just, just try to reorient knowing your wife and seeing her as partner and see how the sex comes along after that. Mm-hmm. Don't make the sex as big of a deal as you think it is. Yeah, I, th- I think that's so important. Like, stop taking it so seriously. But also, you know, if you have a super hot wife, um, but they are, they trash you, that's not going to be attracted to you. But if you have a partner who is aging and growing, um, but is your biggest supporter and affirms you and respects you, like, that's, well, that's what I would say a lot of men would say is attractive. Um, so just... You know, um, try and we, we're always changing and we have to figure out while we're changing in a relationship, like what are we needing now in this new phase um, that's not working for us? But honestly, um, I think it's good that you're identifying this and that's true to you and that's important. Um, you know, if that physical attraction is not there anymore, that's honesty in it. And so I can't negate that too. And anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? You want to talk about football or <laughs> you want to, any, anything else about sex that we should be talking about? Helping people have a great evening interaction with their special other. Anything else? Yeah. Well, uh, if you want something, tell your partner. Don't just hope for, you know, a miracle and that your partner shows up with like, you know, the world. Let them know what you want um, and get rid of those expectations. But if anything, play play, 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 have adventure together, um, enjoy the experience, just take the expectation of performance sex out and learn to just be childlike together um, and really, just really explore and have fun. It would really be great if we could say to our spouse and really mean it, you can't fail here. Mm. If we could say that and they believed it, Mm -hmm. that we're entering into something and I can't fail, Mm -hmm. something really cool could happen. Emma, where do people follow up with you or find out things you're thinking or saying? Give us yeah. some advertisements. So you can come to our website, emma-schmidt.com. We recognize that um, not everybody has the resources to come to therapy or the time. And so we try and do a lot of education through our Instagram, Emma Schmidt Sex Therapy. We post a lot of blogs on our website and different medical professionals resources you can find on our website. And then Facebook, Emma Schmidt and Associate Sex and Relationship Therapy. And we're doing lots of telehealth. So if you're anywhere, reach out and we might be able to help you or connect you with somebody. Emma, thank you so much. You really, you really put your mind and your heart on the line, took a lot of risks with us today. Maybe it's not risks for you because you talk about this stuff a lot, but it was very risky for, for me and a lot of us who are listening, and we're all the better for it. So thank you. So that's it, folks. Hey, let's be aggressive. Seriously, take something you heard today and actually do it. You're not aggressive when you have new ideas or new thoughts. You're aggressive when you do it. So put something to practice. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. 
Special thanks to the band Judges for the music. Progressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio. 